well, there we go. Uh, there's uh, some sections from God's word that help introduce the subject for tonight, which is singing. This morning, if you were part of the gathering uh, for the all ages uh, that we, we deliver uh, for in the morning, um, then you would have seen four pictures, a car, a sports stadium, a sign for town church and a shower. And the question simply was, what can you do in all of these places? And the answer, of course, because we've given it away by the subject of this evening is sing. Sing in a car, the shower, a sports stadium and town church. And the question that I'm going to pose for you tonight is what kind of person are you? Do you love a song in the car, in the shower, anywhere? Do you love a private song, perhaps, just on your own in the car? And if someone spots you singing along to the Greatest Showman soundtrack, then uh, you quickly turn away and shut up. Or perhaps you're someone who just hates singing. Is that you? What about singing at town church? How much do you enjoy that? Look, I'm conscious when we talk about such a specific subject, as I said, this is what we're all about in this series. We're thinking about what we do as a gathered church, what we're going to look forward to when we gather together physically again. But I'm conscious there's different ranges of thoughts, approaches, and even the want and the will and the love and the desire um, to come back and to sing as a gathering. Let's get a few definitions and distinctions in place. Why we use the language we do or don't, as the case may be. Worship has been used for such a thing as singing. That word worship. And perhaps you've noticed at Town Church, we don't use the term worship for the gathering of Town Church or the deliberate act of singing within the gathering at Town Church. Why not? Well, there's phrases like our place of worship. They've been used a lot during the pandemic to clarify restrictions for local churches. And danger it could indicate that there is only a special place where we are able to worship God. It sounds conditional and restricted. We don't call Longfields uh, Primary School the place of worship. Perhaps you've heard a phrase, come let's begin our time of worship. We don't use that. We don't think that that's particularly helpful. It could indicate that worship is contrived to a specific time and action and that therefore matters more than other times or actions. And thus some Christians today have unhelpfully made the sacred and secular divide through using such a term. Yes, singing can be worship, and therefore the rest of my life is, is, is not. It does not matter as much through that sacred and secular divide. And we watched how Christian jargon over the last century has confused and led people and churches to unhelpful positions. So I've thrown us right in the deep end. Let's make, therefore, some clear distinctions at the start to help us. Three helpful definitions to begin. What does the biblical term 
worship mean? We'll look at three areas really quickly. Here's the first one, life as worship. Here's what Mark Ashton writes in his book. He says, worship is the concept by which we relate the whole life to God. Whatever we do with our physical bodies is how we worship God. Romans 12 verse 1. So there is no part of life that has not become spiritual for the believer. The secular sacred divide is removed by worship. So gatherings of Christians are not the special context for worship. And by using the term as if they were, we may reinstate an unbiblical secular sacred divide. That's what he says about worship. It's what the Bible says about worship in Romans 12, verse 1, that worship is a whole of life decision. It's either worship or idolatry, every moment of every life. But what about when we meet together as the body of Christ, the local church? Is there anything special going on? Well, we understand that it's not a special context for worship. But it is significant. It's highly significant. It's very significant indeed. And so let's define the term corporate worship. Perhaps you've come across that. It sounds like a, a business term, perhaps too businessy uh, for town church. Corporate worship. What does it mean? Well, the New Testament commands that God's people assemble together and they gather as one body. And that's why we don't use the term service that term service is is it's more like a meeting that we watch or consume and the biblical term and size already said it in the new testament is that when a body of believers come together we, we gather and we gather in 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 the terms of participation not consuming not watching not just being there as the service happens in front of us See, the gathering is where God ministers. He speaks to us through the reading and preaching of the word. And we respond as one together in unity in prayer and praise and the sacraments as we've been diving into uh, throughout this series. And for me, I've been wonderfully reminded and challenged in this series that the Christian life is always meant to be lived out in and amongst the body of believers. I think that's one, my one big takeaway from the series. My Christian life is always meant to be lived out in amongst a body of believers. Highly challenging, yet persuaded more through this series that that is true. Times it's uncomfortable. But as you dive more into the New Testament, you see that that is the norm. That's the instruction um, from Paul and Peter and the rest of the, the epistles. See, it's highly significant, that corporate gathering, that collective gathering. But it's not more special. Otherwise, we make it a sacred and secular divide. It's more special when we're at a gathering of town church than at nine o'clock on a Monday morning. The gathering is also significant for who it's for, because it's both for the believer and the unbeliever. The gathering, corporate gathering, it is for edification, the building up of believers and for evangelism all the time. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 14 
talks about the importance of a collective body of believers singing praise in unison and cohesion. And, and when they do that, then it speaks volumes to an unbelieving world. And so at Town Church, we're all the time trying to do that as the corporate gathering. We know it's for the edification, the building up of the believers, and it's for the evangelizing of those who don't believe. And we want to make sure that always we're thinking about that as we corporately meet together. And then thirdly, what about singing as worship? And this is where Paul in Ephesians 5 verses 18 to 20 gives us a really good picture of what singing as worship can look like. Life as worship, corporate worship, and then singing as worship. Why do we sing? Again, it's not that it's a more special place to worship God. It's not more of a special act in our worship of God. We've defined that already, that it's not. Romans 12, verse 1, it, it says, Paul is saying that worship that is holy and pleasing to God is a life laid down in sacrifice to him in every way. But again, it has a very significant place in the believer's walk with Jesus that moves me from my individual individuality, my individual comfort, to communal growth as a body. And so we go to Ephesians 5, 18 to 20 to understand singing. And we'll spend the remainder of our time there. Shall we read together 18 to 20 again? It's what Paul says. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now throughout this service series we've looked at some key verses in Ephesians that Paul is instructing the church to, to live in, to, to grow in, how to live spirit-filled lives. And this little section is, is set within the context of, of perceived happiness. Where can happiness be found and so Paul is contrasting for some it's with the bottle and he's saying don't get drunk on wine suggesting that people are doing that in their pursuit of happiness getting drunk on wine leads to a loosening of the tongue and some happy open conversation singing around the campfire perhaps as you and I think about that but look where it leads to. It's not drinking alcohol per se that Paul is going after, but it's getting drunk on alcohol. It leads to debauchery and sin. And so here's the contrast with the spirit filled Christians when they get together. Look at the contrast. Instead of leading to debauchery and sin, here's where it, Christians express their happiness and joy together. It's not getting drunk. But it is being filled with a spirit of praise, rejoicing and thanksgiving. That term spirit filled, those whose lives have been transformed by the spirit and daily renewed by the spirit, the Christian's life. The spirit is directing, he's pressing, he's continually transforming. That's that term spirit filled. And so as we understand the context that Paul is speaking into, that contrast. Here's the question. 
why do we sing at town church? And I'm going to give you the two answers and then unpack them as we go into Ephesians 5. Here's why we sing, for the encouragement of others, one, and secondly, for the praise of King Jesus. For the encouragement of others, and secondly, for the praise of King Jesus. So let's do it, for the encouragement of others. Verse 19, Paul says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. There's a bit of tidying you know up we've got to do here. Why doesn't Paul say singing to each other? Why does he use that term speaking to one another? Well, look, here's the original meaning of speaking. It's using your voice. Here the context is clearly about singing and not talking. So we can literally say sing to one another from verse 19. So Paul is driving home the horizontal dimension to singing corporately at the gathering of town church and it's not meant to be formulaic or rigid Paul is saying you must give expression amongst yourselves to your happiness and your joyous emotions in contrast to being drunk drunkenness and it's that expression that encourages each other to continue in Christ Look, we've looked at these verses before in Hebrews 10, but they're helpful to ground exactly what Paul is saying in Ephesians 5. Hebrews 10 says, verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And we do that Paul says in Ephesians 5, through our singing to one another, amongst one another. Paul isn't talking about a a trite pretense, putting a face on whilst at the gathering of town church, putting a face on, on Zoom, pretending to look happy and overcome with joy. He's not saying that. And I think the theologian Everett Ferguson helps us understand this. Just let me quote him. Um, He says this when it comes to that idea of truthful and genuine um, singing of praise that encourages each other. He says in a gathering, the local church becomes conscious of itself, confesses itself to be distinct and a distinct entity, shows itself to be what it is, a community gathered by the grace of God, dependent on him and honouring to him. The gathering allows the church to emerge in its true nature, to emerge in its true nature. You see, for a short time when we're able to sing songs as we gather together, people at Town Church, the body of Town Church, are able to express our true joy in Christ together. And that should be hugely encouraging. It should spur us on, spur one another on, not a trite pretense, but a collective joy amidst the trials and troubles of everyday life, against the mundane of everyday life. And so think about the reality at Town Church. Think about the people of Town Church, what they're currently experiencing or what they have experienced. And here's what an encouragement looks like within Town Church. As we sing, 
the newly wedded couple, they sing full of hope and purpose and joy as they're together. And as we sing, the young man who would love to be married, often lonely, but sings about the unity that he finds and experiences within the church body, it's encouraging. And as we sing, the lady whose marriage has been so testing and abusive that she sings through bitter tears, clinging to her hope in Christ, it encourages others. And as we sing, the woman whose new job has started really well sings with a heart of thanksgiving. It encourages others. As we sing, the man who has taken voluntary retirement sings with uncertainty, but his future with Christ is certain. It encourages others. And as we sing, the woman without a job sings from a longing and desire to have some security in daily life, but sings of her security in Jesus. It should encourage others. And as we sing, the tired couple who come with their family, who are dealing with lots of different issues, sing to Jesus as the head of their family unit. And as we sing, the parents of the newborn baby frantically, trying to keep their head up above the water. They sing and they find solace and rest in Christ. And as we sing, the couple that come with a burden of miscarriage, through the pain and confusion, they offer their hearts up to God as the sovereign father of their lives. It encourages us. And as we sing, the teenagers who are pressured every school day to conform to the pattern of this world, they sing steadfastly and renew their trust in Jesus. You see, when I sing with the gathering, with the body of believers, we sing as though we're helping each other, as one body who follow Jesus through pain and suffering, through illness and miscarriage, through injustice and uncertainty, through dep depression and mental health, through joy and happiness, through problems with our children and problems of childlessness, through addictions and persecutions, through joblessness and job tiredness. We sing to encourage each other to keep going, keep trusting, to keep lifting our eyes to the King who knows, who cares and gave himself for us. And I think that's what I've missed most about the physical gathering, singing truth to each other. Can I ask you how you might view our time of corporate singing as a way that you can encourage others? Paul says through psalms, hymns and song from the spirit. And it's agreed among mainstream commentators that this list, while separating the distinctive, then the three terms are, are mentioned by Paul to deliberately give the general description of the wider variety of, of how Christians are filled with the spirit and express their joy and happiness. Psalms, the, the book of Psalms, sacred songs that are designed to be sung by the accompaniment of a stringed instrument. Hymns, a song of praise to God, spiritual songs, a song that's inspired by the spirit, an expression of the, the natural outburst of the heart, like Mary in the Bible, like Hannah, like Zechariah, songs that we've looked at in the lead up to Christmas. And in Revelation 5, verse 9, 
this is what John quotes. He says, they sang a new song. This is a spiritual song. They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. The massed choir in heaven singing the spiritual song, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It's the complete repertoire of the Christian's expression of joy corporately as we sing. And we try and be intentional at Town Church to encourage each other. We've tried to be. And perhaps you've seen this and perhaps you've not. So let me just give you one or two headlines as to where we've tried to encourage, be intentional in this, that this idea of singing being an encouragement for each other. Well, we try and face the chairs slightly inward, you perhaps haven't noticed, so that both sides can see each other. It's quite a long time ago, isn't it? And encourage each other as we sing. We have a simple set of instruments and musicians. The musician or music team, they're not performers, but enablers to encourage us, to encourage each other. So we try not to make the focus on them. We've got fabulous musicians, but it's not about them and they know it's not about them. And so we don't make much of them. And we seek to have the whole family together at the beginning of the gathering. Maybe you've seen that. That's intentional. It might be hard when we go back initially for the first six weeks, but it's intentional that we get all the families together. And we sing a couple of songs together for the whole family to be encouraged, young and old. We think it's a valuable time, a valuable time to, for the children to see their parents and the wider church praising King Jesus and learning from this. We're intentional in doing that. And then once a month, we have a more family-focused gathering. And we have songs that are especially for the children. It's like we've done during our morning virtual gathering. And that's intentional. Once a month, we do that. And we want to be intentional when we go back to make singing a more focused element of the children's groups in their classes so that they can encourage each other. There's just a few ways where we want to be intentional as a church in our encouragement of each other. Paul says that that is a reason for singing one. And secondly, Paul says that we sing for the praise of King Jesus. Look at verse 19. Paul says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. And the second point is perhaps the more obvious, isn't it? Maybe you've been scratching your head at the reason for singing is to encourage each other. Maybe it's sinking in. But this was the obvious one, isn't it? It's significant. Paul says that when we sing, we sing from the heart. Look, what does he mean by that? Well, he doesn't mean privately from my own heart, like Mary treasured the things within her heart. No, it's, it's corporate and it's together. Singing is not individual. And he doesn't mean sing heartily. Paul is not saying sing from the heart, the deep tones of the Welsh male voice choir. We're not professionals at Town Church. There's some better singers than others. 
And it's not like the chants that go on in the terraces, the louder you are and the more passionate you look, the more heartily you're singing. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul means being controlled by the spirit at the very center of your being. The heart doesn't, isn't just a control center of your emotions, but it's, it's the whole person. That's what it means from the heart. Engage intellectually with the words. Think about what we're singing. And then how do the words kind of form the greater argument for God and for our position in God? And then let our affections be raised to God. You'll have seen that from Psalm 47. Did you see how the psalmist writes this? God has ascended amid shouts of joy. The Lord amidst the sound of trumpets. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing to him a psalm of praise the psalmist causes to sing in the midst of our knowledge of who he is and what he has done understanding that leads to raised affections reminded of such things and in verse 19 and 20 paul is saying we sing with thanksgiving to the lord for what for everything singing is your corporate expression of happiness joy and thankfulness the danger is that we think we need certain songs to perhaps rev us up to feel a certain way and that's wrong we need the truth to remind us of who god is and what our position in him is like and then we sing about it for everything does he really mean that, Paul? And yes, of course he does. In the moments of heartache, we can sing, it is well with our soul. In the moments of trial, we can sing, he gives and he takes away. In our moments of joy, we can sing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the selection of songs at Town Church is really crucial for us. We as elders sat down with Chris Swinburne originally and then with John Ventress more recently. Uh, and we, we came up with five criteria that defines what we sing. And therefore when we sing it and how we sing it and in what structure do we do we create a town church to sing such songs and here's the criteria to let you in on the inside as to how we pick the songs one is it theologically accurate do the words speak truthfully about god as the father as the creator as the lord as the sovereign do they speak accurately about who jesus is and what jesus came to do number two do they have suitable lyrics are they clear and singable we try and avoid songs with ambiguous language. We try and bring those words up to date and not sing such old songs that we can't understand them. Three, are they representative of different tastes within an eclectic gathering like town church? We do want to try and cater for the different tastes uh, within Christian music. Four, what about the orientation? Well, not too many songs about me. Yes, there's a time to respond to God's word. Of course, we see that in the Psalms 
all the time. Uh, but better to be corporate focused, the us and the we, but more importantly focused on God than us. Look, we'd love more songs to be worded in the plural. Uh, that's probably one of our bugbears that many are sang in the singular. You think of my Jesus, my saviour, it's old school, but it's singular. And we'd love more songs to be plural, because that's why as a gathering, we want to sing to encourage each other. And then fifth, contextually appropriate. Do the lyrics and tone match and suit the context? For example, we avoid really upbeat songs after a, a sobering sermon that's asked us to consider sin. Hopefully it brings you a little bit more on the inside. Uh, not that we're trying to hide anything from you, but it's an opportune time as we go back physically as a gathering to think about such things and consider why we do what we do. So I'm looking forward to singing again. Look, at times it makes me feel uncomfortable. At, at times I actually can't be bothered. And you know what? The devil will do his best to divide us on the secondary issues or push us to come to half-hearted communal singing as we approach God. It's something that we're going to have to fight against. It's something that we're going to have to protect. I want to remember that singing is an opportunity for me to encourage others, for you to encourage me, for you to encourage each other. And it's an opportunity to praise King Jesus with hearts that are filled with thankfulness for his goodness to us in every way. I hope that we'll consider afresh how we'll do that when we meet again as a physical gathering. But for now, and perhaps only next week, as we think about meeting together, I think on the 23rd of May, lots more to follow at Pizza and Prayer, by the way, on that one for those of you who can make it. But for now, uh, we'll sing and we'll sing again. Look, as we sing, think about how we encourage each other and then praise the Father and King Jesus for, for who he is and what he's done. We're going to sing of the one who will hold us fast to the very end as a body. Let's sing together.